Chapter Fourteen of The Innocents: A Story for Lovers by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Don W. Jenkins sometimes they were fated adventurers who were credited with having tramped over most of the globe sometimes they were hoboes on whom straggly women shut farmhouse doors but never were they wandering minstrels father went on believing that he intended to play the mouth-organ and entertain the poor but actually he depended on his wood-chopping arm and every cord he chopped gave him a ruddier flush of youth a warmer flush of ambition most people do not know why they do things not even you and i invariably know though of course we are superior to the unresponsive masses many people are even unconscious that they are doing things or being things being gentle or cruel or creative or parasitic quite without knowing it father was searching for his place in the world the new york shoe stores had decided that he was too old to be useful but age is as fictitious as time or love. Father was awakening from the sleep of drudgery in the one dusty shop, and he was asking what other place there was for him. He was beginning to have another idea, a better idea which he pondered as he came to shoe stores in small towns. They weren't very well window-dressed. The signs were feeble. Maybe some day he'd get back into the shoe business in some town, and he'd show them— only how could he talk business to a shoeman when he was shabby and winter-tanned and none too extravagant in the care of his reddening hands but he was learning something more weighty the art of handling people in the two aspects thereof bluffing and backing up the bluff with force and originality he came to the commonplace people along the road as something novel and admirable a man who had taken his wife and his poverty and gone seeing the world when he smiled in a superior way and said nothing, people immediately believed that he must have been places, done brave things. He didn't so much bluff them as let them bluff themselves. He had never been able to do that in his years as a foggy day shadow to the late J. Pilkings. It is earnestly recommended to all uncomfortable or dissatisfied men over sixty that they take their wives and their mouth-organs and go tramping in winter, whether they be bank presidents or shoe clerks or writers of fiction or just plain honest men though doubtless some of them may have difficulty in getting their wives to go it was early march a snowy blustery march and the applebees were plodding through west virginia no longer were they the mysterious smiths father was rather proud now of being appleby the pedestrian mother looked stolidly content as she trudged at his side ruddy and placid and accustomed to being wept over by every farm wife at an early dusk with the storm menacing with the air uneasy and a wind melancholy in the trees they struck off by a forest road which would they hoped prove a short cut to the town of weatherford they came to cross paths and took the more trodden way which betrayed them and soon dwindled to a narrow rut which they could scarcely follow in the twilight father was frightened they would have to camp in the woods and a blizzard was coming he saw a light ahead a shifting evasive light 
there's a farmhouse or something he declared cheerily we'll just naturally make em give us shelter going to storm too bad to do much work for em and i bet it's some cranky old shellback farmer living way out here like this well we'll teach the old codger to like music and this time i will play my mouth organ ain't you glad we're young folks that like music and dancing how <laughs> you run on mother said trustingly from the bleakness ahead came a cracked but lusty voice singing hello frisco man singing jolly that's a good omen chuckled father all the folks that are peculiar like we are love to sing yes and talk however much she enjoyed father's chatter mother felt that she owed it to her conscience which she kept as neat and well dusted now that they were vagrants as she had in a new york flat to reprove him occasionally for his own good say this is exciting that's a bonfire ahead father whispered they slowed their pace to a stealthy walk behind them and beside them was chilly darkness lurking in caverns among black bare tree trunks before them they could see a nebulous glow and hear the monotonous voice singing the same words over and over mother shrieked they stopped a vast lumbering bulk of a man plunged out from the woods hesitated stooped brandished a club tut tut no need to be excited mister we're just two old folks looking for shelter for the night wavered father with spurious coolness huh growled a thick greasy voice where do you belong everywhere we're tramping to san francisco as he said it father stood uneasy looking into the penetrating eye of an electric torch which the man had flashed on him the torch blotted out the man who held it and turned everything the night the woods the storm mutters into just that one hypnotizing ball of fire suspended in the darkness well well gasped the unknown a mall swelp me welcome to our roost bo you hit it right this is hobo's home there's nine bows of us got a shack up ahead welcome ma'am what's your line con game or just busted i'm sure i don't know what you mean young man snapped mother well if you two are like me nothing but just honest workmen you better try and make em think you are working some game tell em you're the queen of the thimble riggers or some dern thing like that come on now been gathering wood got enough you can follow me the bunch ain't so very criminal not for hoboes they ain't the large mysterious man started down the path toward the glow and father and mother followed him uncomfortably it's a den of vice he's taking us into groaned father and if we go back they'll pursue us maybe we better i don't believe a con game is a nice thing whatever it is said mother it sounds real wicked i never heard of thimble rigging how do you rig a thimble i don't know but i think we better go back they stopped the large man turned on them and growled hustle up obediently the innocents trailed after his dark shaggy back that in his tattered overcoat seemed as formidable as it was big the glow grew more intense ahead of them they came into a clearing where round a fire beside a rude shanty sat several men one of whom was still droning hello frisco visitors shouted the guide the group sprang up startled threatening shabby evil-looking men father stood palsied as grim unshaven faces lowered at him as a sinister man with a hooked nose stalked forward his fist doubled 
but mother left his side darted past the hook-nosed man and snapped that's no way to peel potatoes young man you're losing all the best part next to the skin here give me that i'll show you waste and carelessness while father and the group of circled hoboes stared mother firmly took a huge jackknife away from a slight red-headed man who was peeling potatoes and chucking them into a pot of stew that was boiling on the fire well i'll be darned said everyone almost in chorus who are you the hook-nosed man demanded of father but his voice sounded puzzled and he gazed incredulously at mother as she cosily peeled potatoes her delicate cheeks and placid eye revealed in the firelight she was already as sturdily industrious and matter-of-fact as though she were back in the tea-room i'm appleby the pedestrian said father wife and i went say ain't she the nicest looking woman in the firelight great woman let me tell you we went broke in new york and we're tramping to frisco can you take us in for the night i guess we're all fellow hoboes sure will said the hook-nosed man pleased to have you come fellow bum my name's crook mccusick i'm kind of camp boss the boys call me crook because i'm so honest you can see that yourself oh yes said father quite innocently the lad that the madam dispossessed is ready and his fish-faced duck here is the k c kid but i guess the most important guy in the gang is mr mulligan the stew if your missus wants to elect herself cook to-night and make the mulligan taste human she can be the boss bring me the salt and don't talk so much you'll have the stew spoiled in about one minute mother said severely to crook mccusick and that mighty leader meekly said yes ma'am and trotted to a box on the far side of the fire the rest of the band eight practical romanticists each of whom was in some ways tougher than the others looked rather sullenly at mother's restraining presence but when the mulligan was served they volunteered awkward compliments veal and chicken and sweet potatoes and irish potatoes and carrots and corn were in the stew and it was very hot and there was powerful coffee with condensed milk to accompany it father shook his head and tried to make himself believe that he really was where he was in a rim of bare woods reddened with firelight surrounding a little stumpy clearing on one side of which was a shack covered with tar-paper fastened with laths the fire hid the storm behind its warm curtain the ruffians about the fire seemed to be customers in a new tea-room as mother fussed over them and kept their plates filled gradually the hoboes thawed out and told the applebys that they had permission from the owner of the land to occupy this winter refuge but that they liberally swiped their supplies from the whole countryside mother exclaimed you poor boys i don't suppose you knew any better father i think we'll stay here for a few days and i'll mend up the boys clothes and teach them not to steal you boys why here you are great big grown-up men and you can just as well go out every day and work enough to get your supplies no need to be leading an immoral life just because you're tramps i don't see but what being tramps is real interesting and healthy if you just go about it in a nice moral way now you with the red hair come here and wipe the dishes while i wash them i swear to goodness i don't believe these horrid tin plates have been washed since you got them as mother's bland determined oration ended crook mccusick the hook-nosed leader glanced at her with a resigned shrug and growled all right ma'am anything for a change as the fellow said to the ragged shirt we'll start a y m c a i suppose you'll be having us take baths next the youngster introduced as the k c kid piped up truculently say where do you get this moral stuff this ain't a sunday-school picnic it's a hobo's camp 
Crook McCusick vaulted up with startling quickness, seized the K.C. kid by the neck, wrenched his face around, and demanded, "'Can that stuff, kid. If you don't like the new stunt, you can beat it. This here lady has got more nerve than ten transcontinental bums put together. Woman, lady like her, out battering for eats and pounding the roads. She's the new boss, see? But old Uncle Crook is here with his mitts, too, see?' The kid winced as Crook's nails gouged his neck and whimpered, all right crook gee you don't need to get so sore about it unconscious that there had been a crisis mother struck in step lively now boys and we'll clean up the dishes while the water's hot with the incredulous gentry of leisure obeying her commands mother scoured the dishes picked up refuse then penetrated the sleeping shack and was appalled by the filth on the floor and by the gunny-sacking mattresses thrown in the crude wooden bunks now we'll tidy this up she said and maybe i can fix up a corner for mr appleby and me sort of partition it off like the usual evening meditations and geographical discussions of the monastery of hoboes had been interrupted by collecting garbage and by a quite useless cleaning of dishes that would only get dirty again they were recuperating returning to their spiritual plane of perfect peace in picturesque attitudes by the fire they scowled now again the k c kid raised his voice ah let the bunkhouse alone what do you think this is a female cemetery crook mccusick glared but reddy joined the rebellion with i'm through i ain't no chink laundry man the bunch turned their heads away from mother and pretended to ignore her and to ignore crook's swaying shoulders and clenching fists in low but almost impolite sounding voices they began to curse the surprised and unhappy mother father ranged up beside her protectingly he was sure that there was going to be a fight, and he determined to do for someone, anyway. He was trapped, desperate. Crook McCusick stood with them, too, but his glance wavered from them to the group at the fire and back again, and he was clearing his throat to speak when— "'Hands up!' came a voice from the shadows beyond the fire. End of chapter 14 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com